Welcome to the Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK, brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamelski talk about Victoria's experience at the Tiffany's reopening party, Rob's recap of AGS Conclave, ChatGPT, and what to look forward to at the JCK show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from Los Angeles, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from New York City. Hi, how you been? Been good, been busy, been shuffling a lot of things. I'm heading to Botswana very soon. By the time people are listening to this, I'll be back, so... You know, hopefully on our next catch up, we will delve into what I learned. It'll be my my second time visiting Botswana with De Beers and Benbridge. This time I have co-hosts, but I was actually looking through some photos in my garage, looking through just boxes and boxes of old photos and found photos from my last trip to Botswana and South Africa with De Beers, which was 2004. And on that trip, and in fact, in one of the photos is Hedda Shupak, who was then, of oh. course, editor of JCK, my predecessor. Yes. So it's kind of a... You know, not quite 20 years later, we'll see what's changed. I'm excited. Yeah, it's a it's a really nice country. Very beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very excited. I'm wondering how much my brain will even remember from our my last time. In terms of more recent memories, I do want to tell you a little bit about my last trip, which was, of course, to New York for a very a quick in and out to attend the Tiffany. You know, I wrote a piece on it and I called it "Cocktails at Tiffany's," and it was for Tiffany's grand reopening party on the 27th of April. We had spoken about it right as I was preparing to leave on our last show, on our last catch up episode, and. I must say it was bigger, sort of grander, much more glamorous than even I expected. And I expected it to be pretty darn glamorous. I should correct myself too. I had heard from somebody before the party that there was like an invite list of 400 people. I heard much closer to 1,200 after the fact. And it did feel like a very full house, but I didn't recognize very many people because I think so, so many of the guests were actually Tiffany clients. And that's what my experience was as I wandered through the whole landmark, which is what they're calling the reimagined building, you know, after three and a half years of renovation, it looks nothing at all like the old Tiffany. And it is quite spectacular and also very, very high end. You would ask me, Rob, about, you know, whether or not I anticipated they'd keep any of that homey vibe that the old Tiffany had. And and I would say, no, uh, not at all. It's There's nothing homey about it. It's lots of beautiful wood and glass and digital screens and custom artworks and lots of great light fixtures and a very dramatic curvilinear staircase, incredible jewels, but nothing homey at all. <laughs> so first of all, I, I guess my first question would be, you go to an event like this, it's full of very fancy people. You said there's a lot of famous people there. You went by yourself, correct? Correct. Yeah. Who did you talk to? Well, so I right as I got out of my Uber and I could see there were barricades crossed 57th across Fifth Avenue because there were just loads of tourists lined up to get a peek at the red carpet and who might be walking in. And as I later learned, there was something on the order of like 80 celebrities there, including the director, Boz Luhrmann, including the artist, Jeff Koons, including Mayor Eric Adams, not to mention just scores of celebrities, both from, you know, global celebrities, like a lot of K-pop stars and Asian celebrities that I didn't necessarily recognize. In addition to the kind of famous names we all know, Blake Lively and Zoe Kravitz and Mark Wahlberg 
Greenberg and so on. But in terms of who I recognize, so I walked in and I, I didn't recognize a lot. I recognized the current CEO, Anthony LeDrew, who was greeting people right there as you walked in through the, the main you know revolving doors. I saw Michael Kowalski, who was the former CEO, ah, yes. uh, with a big smile on his face. And, and, and he seemed to be in great spirits. I you know, I wanted to say hi, but he was just so busy greeting everybody else. And people, I think, were coming up to both, you know, the current and former CEOs that I just didn't insinuate myself in those, even though I wish I had just to say hello. Oh, I, sorry. As I was saying, when I got out of the Uber, the first two people I saw were Jill Newman, our, you know, beloved longtime jewelry editor, and then Sam Brokema, the editor in chief of only Natural Diamonds, the Natural Diamond Council's content platform. And we walked in together, but then everybody kind of split off because everybody, I think, had their own wish list of things to see. So I just took myself up to the seventh floor, which is where the masterpieces are, The um, what they call the gemstone masterpieces. There were a lot of bird on a rock brooches. I saw one that was near $2 million, a no oil giant muzo emerald. I saw another nearly $2 million paraiba necklace. So on the seventh floor is where they house that level of jewelry. It's also where they house the Patek Philippe Salon, which is, of course, where they sell things like the Tiffany Blue Nautilus, which I did spy on a woman's wrist right as I entered. So again, you know the level of wealth there when people are sporting a Tiffany Blue Nautilus at this party because that piece currently hovers around three million on the secondary market. So in terms of conversations, I didn't have a lot. I did chat with a gemologist on the seventh floor about some of the special bird on the rock pieces. I ran into a longtime friend from the watch world, Jenny Arakelian, who is a client advisor in the Patek salon there on the watch floor. I chatted with her. That was great. And then otherwise, I just tried to overhear as much as I could because I was very curious to see what the clients were in interested in. So as I made my way down to then the home goods floor, next to the silver floor, then to kind of the icons floor, which is where you'll find pieces by the Tiffany designers in that stable, Paloma Picasso, Jean Schlumberger. And as a side note, I walked in right behind Paloma Picasso, who looked Mm. amazing and just so beautiful and put together. And it was just I don't even realize, I, I don't, I didn't really know how old she was. I didn't really think much about it. I didn't, wasn't even sure if she was still alive, but she's very much alive, very much beautiful and poised. And that was exciting. So I, I can't say I spoke to a lot of people, although when I got to the after party, they were serving just white wine in the landmark for obvious reasons. They didn't want lots of, you know, red wine or cocktails being spilled. But the next door space, which is the space they had occupied for three and a half years during the renovation, former Nike town, is where the after party was. So that's where we all moved after the landmark, I guess, around 8 p.m. And they had like a full on club scene in there, multiple bars, a big stage where not only did the Rockettes perform, Katy Perry did a great Uh, just a wonderful performance. She was such a good choice for that crowd. And then closed out by DJ Mark Ronson, who did a couple of really great sets too. So when I got some drinks, I did see a few more editors. I saw Rachel Garahan from British Vogue, Marion Faisal, of course, the adventurine, longtime jewelry historian, Lynn Yeager, another talented jewelry writer for Vogue. And then I just saw a few of the clients I'd seen. And so I did chat. I kind of just walked right up to a woman who had been looking at a couple of watches with her husband on the icons floor. And I just sort of asked her, I said, Hey, you know, I saw you earlier. Where, you know, where are you from? And she lives in New York. They have four other homes in places unknown. She's from Hamburg. And I, you know, the, just the wealth was pretty, it just oozed from her, I must say. 
not in a bad way. She, I mentioned that she asked me where I was from and I said, oh, I'm from Russia, from St. Petersburg. And she right away said, oh, Gergiev, I've been there. And she mentioned being there five or six times with Gergiev is, of course, Valery Gergiev, longtime director of the Marinsky Theater. He's been described as Russia's most powerful classical musician, also a big buddy of Putin's. And so, you know, these are these are some of the, the company that Tiffany's clients keep, obviously very wealthy, very powerful people. It wasn't exactly surprising. It's not that I didn't really expect that, but it is always just fascinating to be a witness to so much privilege. Right. You mentioned that it is very ornate, very upscale. In the quotes uh, that they sent out with the press release, they kept saying that they wanted to make it accessible and keep its American flavor and keep Tiffany's traditional democratic flavor. I mean, did you see any of that? Because when I look at the pictures of it, and I mean this respectfully, it looks a little bit, especially that opening floor, looks a little bit like Grand Central, which is, you know, Grand Central is beautiful. But that that was kind of what it reminded me of. Is there an accessibility there? Yes and no. You know, it, I think it it sort of depends on the kind of person you are. If you don't have much money and you wander in and you just feel confident and happy to be looking at beautiful things, sure. If that feels daunting to you, maybe not. I mean, the first floor is pretty spectacular. It, it doesn't feel intimate. It's quite grand. But you do go up and there is a whole floor devoted to silver and there is specifically, and I asked, you know, do what's the entry price here? And the entry price is $250 for a return to Tiffany bracelet. And it is just this uh, one of their collections. So there are things you can buy, things lots of people could buy. But I, that's not the impression or the vibe you get when you are first enter. And certainly if you're up on that seventh floor, which is devoted to the masterpieces and to Patek Philippe, and for that matter, the home goods floor, which is a spectacular, great place to be. I mean, I just wandered around looking at Tiffany blue table tennis rackets and beautiful pillows. I didn't see pricing anywhere, but I knew they were too rich for my blood. But it's just a wonderful place to wander around, admire the art. There's lots of beautiful, one of a kind of art. There's just an incredible sense of merchandising. They have a lot of odes to Tiffany windows. It, it feels like a museum. They have a couple of digital experiences, including an Audrey experience where they feature her a replica of her Black Givenchy dress and then scenes from her at breakfast at Tiffany's. And also some of the original look like scripts or notes from Trimmer Capote's novel, Breakfast at Tiffany's or novella, I guess. It, again, it does feel like a museum experience, maybe not accessible for buyers, but certainly interesting for passers-by or, or people who just want to see. Yeah, because I mean, I will probably go just because I cover the industry. But do you think it will be a cool tourist attraction? Yeah, I do. It's very beautiful. And you know, ornate, it's funny, I wouldn't actually use that word because it doesn't it feels quite modern. It feels sleek, you know, I mean, it def it feels quite grand. And I don't know how high those ceilings are on that first floor, but they're really high. There's a lot to see. There's a lot of beautiful flowers and every, all the Tiffany um, salespeople are dressed in custom Givenchy black outfits down to their loafers, by the way. I mean, and with their little blue embroidered Tiffany logos and it's all so well done. I mean, it, it does feel 
very grand. I in my article I described it as like a, a real temple to luxury. I mean, it feels that way. So I do think I do see it as a tourist attraction because it's just stunning. I mean, it doesn't feel exactly warm, but it, it doesn't feel cold either. I mean, it, I think it, again, it sort of depends on your take as a passerby or as somebody who's more of a looky loo. Like if you're daunted by that stuff, okay, maybe it's not going to be the most welcoming spot. But I don't see any reason why you couldn't walk in and just take it in and buy yourself a $250 bracelet and slip on out. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try to make it. Yeah. I mean, you really, you of all people absolutely should. I mean, yeah, I, I will. I'm going to, I will try to go. Yeah. I'd be very curious to hear your take. This podcast is brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. At the JCK show June 2nd through June 5th, the De Beers Group booth will showcase their latest developments in diamond provenance and technological innovation. With representatives on hand from Tracer, you can learn about the world's only distributed diamond blockchain that starts at the source and operates at scale, which now houses more than 1 million registered rough diamonds. The team from the De Beers Institute of Diamonds will present the Institute's suite of services, and the Ignite team will show a range of cutting-edge diamond sorting and verification technologies. Visit the De Beers group at JCK booth 14109. In terms of uh, your take on other things, of course, I want to hear about how AGS Conclave was in Louisville. Yes. So I was just at AGS uh, Conclave in Louisville. Always a good event. Always an interesting event. Always worthwhile education. And there's a nice feel, a family feel among the attendees. It's generally, give or take, you know, the same group year after year. It's nice to see everybody. And I guess my initial impression was how little I thought about COVID the whole time. It really seemed like a post-COVID event. Even the events we had in March, I think there was a, a COVID wave around that time. And it was in the back of my mind, but here I didn't think about COVID at all. And it really felt like things had gotten back to normal or pre-COVID or Post-COVID, I mean, there was one or two people with masks, but that's it. And it just seemed like a regular event, which was nice. People socializing, and that was great. And it was only after I got back that I, I realized, wow, I hadn't thought of COVID at all. And certainly for a lot of the events that we've had over this period, it's something that's been in the back of my mind. And I usually wear a mask on the plane, at least. But this was fine. This was great. The mood of people was surprisingly good, given the fact that the industry is off its 2021 and 2020 highs, given the fact that most people's businesses have fallen a bit, given the fact that obviously we're in a, a bit of a, a shaky economy, or by some measures, it's, it's a strong economy, but there's definitely warning signs as far as these bank failures and inflation and things along those lines. People seemed pretty good and, and people seemed like business had really held up. So that was all encouraging and there wasn't a lot of complaining. The two big topics were traceability and lab-grown diamonds, which is now a perennial topic. Traceability, I think people were still figuring out how to deal with and still coming to terms with. And lab-grown diamonds, I mean, this was not a very, the AGS being a higher-end people is not a very pro-lab-grown crowd, but there were people who carried it. I spoke to a couple of retailers who don't necessarily like the product, they don't necessarily believe in the product, 
but they feel they have to stock it just in case somebody comes in and asks for it. So we had that conversation a couple of times, but overall, a great mood and uh, interesting sessions. That's great. And any any highlights from the sessions that you want to pull out? I talked a little bit and I, I wrote up this session for JCK, the ChatGBT session. Yeah. And I'm actually psyched that there's going to be two ChatGBT sessions coming up in Las Vegas. The ChatGBT session was really interesting because uh, you've used ChatGBT, right? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Not a lot, but yeah. I mean, tell me. I've, I use it mostly as a toy, as something that amuses me, and my son likes to, to use it, and I use it to make poems. But this one speaker seemed to really master it and really had a sense of how it could be used for business. And the, the one example he gave, which was really interesting to me, was he had a customer who complained. And we all have dealt with people who complained. And his first reaction, he said, was to tell the customer, look, I, this, is, this is nonsense, go away, you know to get mad back because that's the that's how most people react when they get those kind of emails. He asked ChatGBT, he said, pretend you're a customer service expert. Here is the email I got. Compose an email back. And ChatGBT did it. And apparently when he sent it out, the person was thrilled and told him, this is why I like working with you. And the irony, of course, was it wasn't him. <laughs> it was ChatGBT. Wow. When you use this thing, you can tell... It's a powerful tool. But to really master it, you really have to understand the prompts and, and understand what it can do and understand its limitations. Because as far as factual accuracy, I've, I've found it to be extremely bad. Mm, interesting. Uh, that I find that it's not, not only is it, is it frequently wrong, I would say at this point it's wrong more often than right. And it always delivers answers with this incredible confidence. So it'll make up citations, it'll make up publications, and they just don't exist. But if you use it in the way this gentleman uses it, and he says he uses it for sales materials, he uses it for marketing materials, part of that's very scary. As somebody who makes a, a living uh, writing, that, I, I find that extremely scary. But if you're good with it, and he uses the pro version, which I, I think he said it was $20 a month. But if you kind of, if you really master this thing, it, it really does have some amazing applications. And certainly that email story is something that I've been thinking about a lot, because sometimes I get angry emails and Obviously, my <laughs> default is to say, well, you know, <laughs> go away, you know, or I disagree. But uh, maybe ChatGPT can help me out there, too. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a great use case. You know, I've thought about whether or not we as reporters and writers should be worried about it. I guess I feel inherently not at all because, A, we speak to people. We call up people. We get fresh quotes from people. There's no ChatGPT isn't about to call up 10 different sources and distill their conversations down into like their pearls of wisdom and, and then weave that into a story. But I would be worried if I were a publicist or somebody who's used to writing very kind of more generically about products. Right. And what I worry about is not necessarily for me because I have my own style and I have talked to the jury audience for a long time. What I worry about is somebody who's younger. And one of the ways you learn, 
as we both know, is you start doing simple things and grunt work, and that's how you learn an industry or you learn about a topic. It's just about kind of getting the basics. And the thing about ChatGPT is it's very good with the basics. And if you don't get a chance to master the basics, you're never going to get a chance to graduate to the smarter stuff. No doubt. I, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about AI in general, and I'm, I'm actually working on a piece about the watch industry's use of AI for a June 16th watch section running in the New York Times. And it's it's interesting how many ways companies are using it. For the more thoughtful stuff, I usually go to Ezra Klein, who does a lot for the New York Times, who does a lot of really thoughtful analysis of, of AI, has done and has talked to a lot of people about it. I mean, I think the thing about it is, and he made this point in a recent podcast about AI, which is so many people think, okay, this is the next, obviously the next the future, there's so much creativity going to be unleashed and we're on the verge of this. And yet, because AI rehashes things that we already know, I mean, it's all about culling existing content, existing data, and then sort of magically spinning that into something, I guess, fresh. Are we not maybe just rehashing the past in a way that is not nearly as futuristic or pushing the boundaries as it would seem? Are we not just repackaging things we already know. And so then what does that do for us as a, as a culture, as a society? I mean, I definitely do not have the answers, but it, there's so many provocative ideas to explore and unpack. I did use ChatGPT to brainstorm the title of my fourth book, which I'm working on currently. And I told it the parameters I wanted, a Diamond District mystery, and it came up with pretty much things that I'd already come up with, but there was one thing it came up with that I didn't use, but I was able to adapt. So in that case, it, it helped me. It, it was useful as a, a brainstorming tool. And I think I saw this on Facebook. Do tell what, what did you come up with or what was it? So it's, it's possible be, it may be renamed by the editor, but the fourth book, the tentative name at least is Making a Killing in Diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was good. So they, it had something killing and I was like, okay, yeah, that'll work. And I rephrased it. The third one, which is coming out in September is called uh, Slay It With a Diamond. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wow. Well, that's very exciting. I I love both of those. Wonderful. Well, goodness. Okay. Well, so we have just a little time left and we cannot give short shrift to our, of course, our whole reason for being here at JCK, which is the JCK Las Vegas show. It's yes. a luxury opens May 31st, a couple days right after Memorial Day. And then of course, JCK, the, the full show opens Friday, June 2nd. Everything wraps up by June 5th, Monday. I've got a packed schedule. What What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to several things. First of all, I will autograph books if people uh, want me to do that. First of all, there's two sessions on ChatGPT, which I thought was really cool. So I'm, uh, I think I want to see both of those. There's a session on TikTok, which I'd like to see. There's a session on sustainability. I'd like to see there's something called how to do a social media audit, which I don't know what it is, but I'll figure out how to do it uh, when I attend that session. I'm going to be moderating two panels, and they wanted to do the standard panel I do, hot issues in the diamond industry. But one of the things we decided was we don't want it to be the standard natural versus lab-grown kind of fight. It'll probably come up, but we didn't necessarily want to do that. So what we decided is we're going to have two panels. The first on Friday, it's called Natural Diamond Updates, and we're going to have the Natural Diamond Council there. We're going to have the Jewelers Vigilance 
committee there to talk about Russia sanctions. And so that will be about natural diamonds. On Saturday, we're going to have a lab-grown diamond panel, and uh, we're going to have somebody from IGI. We're going to have, I believe, Aiden Golan, the analyst there, and somebody from the Lab-Grown Association. So we're going to, instead of just making it lab-grown versus natural, we're going to separate them out. And I'm sure they're both going to come up. Both things are going to come up because there are two markets that are very, very closely linked and have a lot to do with each other and are really fighting it out. But the idea is to let's look at these two different segments as individual markets. And they both have their challenges and they both have their opportunities and they both have their strengths and they both have their weaknesses. So that's that's the plan. So that's going to be Friday and Saturday. So I'm excited about that. Awesome. Those sound great. I mean, the education at JCK is really not to be missed. There's so much there. And there, there was some good stuff. I was checking it out. Yeah. I mean, there's like on the hour, there's different tracks. You can pursue any topic you like. Clearly, there's going to be a lot of focus on sustainability, on DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. There's going to be marketing talks and social media talks. So most of this happens, for those of you who've been to JCK, you'll recognize this. There's a, it's called the showcase stage. It's on level two. It's in an area that the show is called the Innovation Hub, and it's near booth 19141. Nearby, they've also brought in a brand new stage called the Social stage, which is where they'll be discussing a lot of these social media tracks and different topics focused on viral videos and TikTok and other aspects of social. There's just so much content there and so many really timely, relevant speakers. I'm doing a Colored Stone panel on Sunday. The panelists are top-notch. Um, and there's also the whole day of education Thursday, which is not on the show floor, but in the some of the meeting rooms on level one because the show doesn't open till Friday. So there's just so much. And if you come in on Thursday and you're just looking to get your bearings, I mean, I can't imagine you wouldn't want to take advantage of that education. The GEMS Pavilion PS is also opening Thursday, the day before the show. So if you are keen to see your colored stone dealers, and those are always the ones you do want to see early so that they don't get cherry picked before you get to them at the end of the show. There's, of course, JCK Rocks, the concert on Sunday night that's taking place featuring Andy Grammer. He is going to be performing after the Jewelers for Children Gala, which is sort of a slightly different format. It's more cocktails, kind of like they had last year, cocktails and, and bites, which I think is a great format. It's all, I believe, in the Palazzo Ballroom. There's just a lot going on. There's a, a WJA breakfast on Friday morning focused on, I believe, disability inclusions, a topic that I haven't heard much about, so I'm excited to, to learn more. We've got a couple of great keynote speakers. Dominique Dawes, the gymnast, is doing the keynote on Thursday. Saturday morning's keynote is by Johnny Cupcakes, um, a retailer from Bo- t-shirt retailer from Boston named Johnny Earl, whose brand is called Johnny Cupcakes, and he's got lots of great innovative ideas. He's spoken before. He was a keynote speaker a few years back at Luxury. Super exuberant, really fun, lots of great ideas. So there's a ton of content and just information and education that awaits people. So I hope people show up and want to take advantage of that. I I know I will. It fuels a lot of our content for the rest of the year. We will be interviewing people at the show for this podcast. As we do. As we do. Yes. And there's also the Diamonds Do Good. Of course. Yes. Thursday night. Yes. Another big event celebrating, of course, the intersection of the diamond industry and, and 
social responsibility and highlighting various stakeholders. It's always, I think I'm going to be sitting with De Beers that night, which is always an honor. So yeah, lots to cover, lots to talk about. We'll have tons of takeaways, of course, in the weeks and months following the show. But if you're going to be there in Vegas, please reach out and say hi. Maybe we can have yes. your drink. And Rob, I always look forward to catching up with you and of course with our colleagues at JCK. So super excited to see you. And yeah, I mean, there's just, um, I can't believe it's almost here. Do you have any favorite Vegas memory? Oh God, I've been going to Vegas for a long time. Some of my favorite memories are just from my early days when I was like still in awe of this industry. I Not to say I'm no longer in awe. I still very much am still in awe, but you know, it's a different experience to walk into a hall and see that much jewelry and try to wrap your head around this industry. So those are some of my early memories of just kind of taking it all in and feeling very not jaded about any of it. What about you? So I will leave out the names, but this was a very very interesting uh, Vegas memory. This was probably like 15, 20 years ago. This is, this is a long, long time ago. Uh, there was a uh, jewelry trade writer and a jewelry PR person, neither of whom are, are still in the business, but we'd all gotten drunk and we were kind of somebody, I think a cab was driving us around. And the idea came up that these two people will get married in a Vegas wedding. And we went to a chapel and it was a chapel that said, Slash got married here. And I kept waiting for these two people to back out. And I think just as as we were approaching the chapel, the woman decided, okay, maybe this is not such a great idea to do this on a as a, a drunken dare. And it turned out you you actually do need a marriage license. You just can't go and, and get married. So that was a really wild night. And that was a lot of fun. And that was many, many years ago. Were these people dating already? No, they were not dating. They had just met. Okay. Well, that is about as bonkers as I've ever heard of. That was a, that was a wild story. Almost yeah, married. Very- <laughs> I love it. You were almost their witness. We were so close. And my wife, Susan, tells me that the first time she met me was in Las Vegas and I was introducing a GIA speaker or something like that. So that was our our romantic beginning. Well, I can't even imagine how many romantic beginnings were on the precipice of uh, this year's show. (laughs) I do think there's a whole story around love in Vegas, love at JCK. So maybe we'll return to that next year. But uh, well, I can't wait to see you, Rob. I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. Any views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the opinion of JCK, its management, or its advertisers. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.